Let's get into what we're talking about this morning. So we've been in a conversation over the summer called Practicing the Ways of Jesus. And really, that's a way of saying we're talking about spiritual disciplines. But spiritual disciplines sound very scary, so we call it Practicing the Way of Jesus. So the spiritual discipline that we're going to be talking about today is the discipline of study. Now, there are topics that I am very passionate about and that I love to talk about and preach about and, and, and study about. Study is not really one of them. So when study came up this week, I went, oh man, that's going to be a rough topic. But as I studied on studying, I began to see that this is a well that is so, so deep. And not only that, it's super practical. So a lot of the things that we talk about in church, they can sometimes be lofty and they can be tough to get our heads around. This is one that we can walk out of this space today and practically use. And so I'm thrilled to begin to talk about studying. Um, so uh, the comedian Pete Holmes, has anyone heard of Pete Holmes? He has a bit uh, that's incredible, and it goes like this. He says when he was a kid, he used to have to like, pull his hair out to get him to study for even an hour. Like Homework was a chore. There was no way he was going to do work for school. But as an adult... He spent the entire last night watching TED Talks until 1 a.m. So as an adult, we use our free time to learn. So really, school should be for adults. And I find that is extremely, extremely true because we're in the middle of this crazy learning renaissance. We have, like, like in no point in human history before, we have the resources to be able to learn on our own, and it's something that actually excites us. So... Podcasts are free and they're a thing and you can go and you can learn about any subject you want. There's a thing called TED Talks in which I just said that you can watch these 15 minute lectures that are essentially just little college lectures. And there's a thing called The Great Courses which has hundreds of thousands of subscribers and what that is is a $49.95 a month fee to basically go to school and it's their, their thing is like lifelong learning. So you get access to thousands of lectures. So people like to study it's just that we like to study what we like, right? Uh, so let me give you an example of, uh, of this domestically playing out in my life. Um, we had this dining room table, and I hated this dining room table. It, we bought it for our first apartment, but it was like one of these super high tables, and so it felt like you were climbing into a treehouse every time you'd sit down to dinner, and I didn't dig it. So when we moved, we began to look for a new dining room table. And we looked and we searched and we tried to find something, but I couldn't find anything that would fit. We have this like really small little dining space. I couldn't find anything that would fit it. And so I began to notice a theme in all the tables we were looking at, and they were these sort of like farmhouse, Pinteresty, make make-a-blogger dream tables that were like these wooden planks and, and iron uh, like legs and stuff like that. And, and what I learned is online, I could learn how to build one of these tables. So here's a guy with absolutely zero building experience, especially furniture, and through, through like Pinterest, through YouTube and through a couple online resources, I was able to learn how to craft and build a custom table for our dining room. And I also had the help of some handy friends, uh, Sean was one of them, who actually helped me put this thing together. But it's a perfect example of like 30 years ago, the process of me trying to look up how to build a piece of furniture would have been a much lengthier ordeal. So I would have had to go down to the library or I'd had to like call up a handy friend and learn from them or they would have had to just do it for me. I would have had to pay a lot more money to get this knowledge. I would have had to learn what materials I would have to use, what tools I would have to use, and all of that would have to be researched in a different way. So what I'm trying to point out is that the way that we search for information has forever changed. So the way we seek things has forever changed. There's an immediacy 
to our search. There's an immediacy to our study, which I don't actually think lines up in the Christian life. And I think that's why it's so difficult for us sometimes to live out this, this discipline of study. Because it's not immediate, it's not right away, and it takes a life. It's a life lived in study. And I found a word for this life lived in study, and it's called discipleship. So this is another one of our long list of scary religious words, but discipleship is a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's actually the goal of the church, to make disciples. So what is a disciple? But defined by Webster's, it is a person who is a pupil or an adherent of the doctrines of another follower. Now, discipleship and discipline share the same four first letters, right? So in this, we have discipleship and discipline. It's, it's practical for what we're talking about this morning because discipleship is a discipline. A true follower, a disciple, is not one that simply reads the Wikipedia article. The true follower is the one that pours over countless teachings and experiences to gain knowledge and wisdom on who or what they are following. So we're living in an age where we can become dangerously ill-educated overnight. And what I mean by that is we may think we are getting educated, but we are getting dangerously ill-educated. So I can go and look up uh, what it means to be a rock climber. And I can memorize all the fancy lingo that goes with that. I can get in with like, you know, what, what, they, what they call all their little carabiners and everything like that. And I can know the terminology. And then I can go and I can purchase all of the gear that I would need to look like a professional rock climber. Right? But by the time I get to that rock, my inexperience is going to show through more than the stuff that I've read. Right? So being a disciple of Jesus is about actually getting on the rock and not reading about it. So I, I could talk about wisdom and how we learn and all that kind of stuff, but that's not actually my skill set. So I went to people who are much smarter than me this week to figure out how we learn and what this like, view of discipleship really means in terms of education. And so my wife is a, is a teacher and has a master's degree, and she's got tons of smart friends, and one of them is a professor at USC. So I hit her up and asked her if she could give me some information on how we learn best as adults. Because looking around the room, we're all adults here. That's, that's probably what we're going to need to gear this towards. So I asked her, what is it about being an adult, and how do we learn, and, and what does it mean to truly learn and be an expert in something? And she gave me this awesome article. So I'm going to read like a piece of this, and it's a little lengthy, so stick with me, but it, it's totally worth it. And this is according to a study done by professors in education at the University of Columbia. Um, and it says, we learn best as adults when we are at the edge of our comfort zones. So I'm going to read this little excerpt. So we each have zones of comfort about different content or activities. Topics or activities we are familiar with or have lots of information about are solidly inside our comfort zone. When we are inside our comfort zone, we are not challenged and we are not learning anything new. Furthermore, each of us have many different comfort zones depending on our personality and social identity and our experiences. If we are too far outside our comfort zone, we tend to withdraw or resist new information, so it's important to recognize when we are within, on the edge of, or beyond our comfort zone if we want to actively learn. And this is where they get to what they call the learning edge. So when we are on the edge of our comfort zone, we are in the best place to expand our understanding, take in a new perspective, and stretch our awareness. We can learn to recognize when we are on a learning edge by paying attention to our internal reactions or class activities, or people in the class. This is in a classroom setting. Being on a learning edge can be signaled by feelings of annoyance, 
anger, anxiety, surprise, confusion, or defensiveness. These are signs that our way of seeing things is being challenged. And if we retreat to our comfort zone by dismissing whatever we encounter that does not agree with our way of seeing the world, we lose an opportunity to expand our understanding. The challenge is to recognize when we are on a learning edge and then to stay there with the discomfort to see what we can learn. Isn't that crazy? So we learn best when we're stretched. We learn best when we're at the edge of our comfort zone. I want to uh, point out Jesus as a teacher this morning because we're talking about studying. And even if, if you are from a different religious background, uh, Jesus is just known as this expert teacher, right? So even if we're not viewing Savior, Son of God, the teachings of Jesus are pretty crazy and pretty life-changing and pretty brilliant. And so what he does as a teacher, I wanted to see, it was like, is there an example of like Jesus as professor, right? Is there an example of Jesus like outright teaching? And one is the Beatitudes that we read during the worship hour. And then the other is just seeing him interact with his disciples. So the disciples were a group of 12 men who followed Jesus around religiously. So they followed him around as teacher, as rabbi, and obviously along that journey, they learned that Jesus was like a little bit different than these other rabbis that they could be following. There was something else ticking. There was something else going on. And so I wanted to see what it looked like for Jesus to lead these 12 and to teach these 12 and what it looked like for them to be stretched so that they could learn. So this comes out of Matthew 10. And I want to point out that, that Matthew 10, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is 28 chapters long. So we read out of Matthew 5 earlier. So this is five chapters ahead, and, and Jesus outlines his new, his new vision for this, this kingdom that he's proclaiming. He outlines that happy are the people who have been put down, this upside-down sort of reality. And so he, he throws this out into the ether. The disciples are taking this in, and then five chapters later, he sends them out. Five chapters later, with 18 more chapters left in the book. So these guys aren't done. They've got so much more to learn, but he still sends them out. So there's trust in this. And let's pay attention to how he sends them out, because he does it with some really specific, unique rules. So this is Matthew 10, 5 through 14. It'll, it'll be on the screen behind us if you want to follow along. It says, Jesus sent these 12 out and commanded them, don't go among the Gentiles or into a Samaritan city. Go instead to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. As you go, make this announcement. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, and throw out demons. You received without having to pay. Therefore, give without demanding payment. Workers deserve to be fed, so don't gather gold or silver or copper coins for your money belts to take on your trips. Don't take a backpack for the road. Don't take two shirts or sandals or a walking stick. Whatever city or village you go into, find somebody who is worthy and stay there until you go on your way. When you go into a house, say peace. And that word peace is that shalom that we've talked about in here before. It's that everlasting peace. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace, of shalom. But if the house isn't worthy, take back your blessing. If anyone refuses to welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or city. So talk about being the edge of our comfort zones. I want to unpack this a little bit for its ancient context because it's, it's, it's hard for us to really picture what that means. So what Jesus was saying when he sent them out, there's a couple things that are super, super significant. One, he's sending them to receive an invitation from someone else. 
So how often do we get that backwards in church? We tend to invite people in, right? Come to us so that we can give you the good news. And Jesus' method of discipleship is saying, no, 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 go to them, wait for an invitation, and then share the good news. And if you don't receive that invitation, walk away. That, that is a big, big, big deal to get our heads around in church because that's not often preached. So let's, let's unpack the ancient context here. He sends them out, and in Jewish culture, um, you would have, uh, let, let's just picture a normal family home. So there was no such thing as a nuclear family at this point, so no family is living on their own. If you're a family, that means you're going to have multiple generations living within a single home. And this sort of ancient Jewish architecture would be, there'd sort of be a farm around, and then there would be a hut, and the second floor would be where the humans slept, and then the bottom floor would be for livestock. So you're living in close quarters, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty crazy deal. Um, so with that, the farm was really where life was lived and where they made their money, where they made their food, and they depended upon the land. So there's a huge connection, if you read the Old Testament and even the New Testament, with this idea of land, like especially with the promised land, there's this idea that the connection between them and the land is this really life-giving source, and it's super, super important in their heritage and their culture. And so this land, when you'd have a big family on it, would become this sort of micro-village, this micro-community. And so when Jesus says, go out, and go out without a separate shirt, go out without a change of clothes, go out without any money, he's putting them in an extremely vulnerable position. He's saying, go into this little micro, tightly knit community and share the good news if you receive that invitation. And so when the disciple would go into this, into this place and he would ask, he would have to ask to stay, because he didn't have any money, he didn't have any change of clothes, he didn't have anything. So he's put at the mercy of the host. And that is such an interesting picture. So when Jesus puts the disciples in there, it's the edge of the comfort zone, so they're able to learn. But why is he sending them out to teach when he's really sending them out to learn? It's a really fascinating concept. If you, uh, if you go into a home at this point, you would have to stay with them for a couple days. So you'd have to work with them. You'd have to hang out with them, and you'd have, to, you'd have to share in the workload. So you'd be plowing fields with them. You'd be doing housework. You'd be cleaning, and you'd be a guest in this home. And in the context of working alongside these people, then you would heal, and you would share the good news. And I think that is such a beautiful picture for the missional church. To be a disciple of Jesus means to go to the places that we're going to feel a little uncomfortable, but we're going to work alongside the people, the places, the things that make us feel just a little bit uncomfortable. That's what Christ is calling us into. It's a radical principle of learning. So to be a disciple is not merely to read and to listen, but it's to go and to be. It's a life lived. So this morning, as we listen, I want to challenge us to go, right? So outside of these walls, we said this, this summer that we were going to be about gatherings, conversations, and the good news. So the gathering is what we do inside here. The conversation is what goes on over breakfast. And then the good news portion is the thing that we really, really, really need to harp on more. Because the good news is what we take out of this place and into our community. See, I think it, there's this big word, there's another scary religious word for you called ecclesiology. 
And ecclesiology stays the same word as ecclesia, which is the first word we have for church. So ecclesiology is the study, or not the study, but ecclesiology is what we do as a church and how a church functions. And there is good ecclesiology and there is poor ecclesiology. And I think part of the poor ecclesiology is assuming that the gathering that we have here on Sunday morning is what it's all about. Because the church is something that exists all the time. If we, are a, if we are a part of Resonate, it doesn't end when we walk out the door at Resonate. That's part of being a disciple. That's part of good, good study. So I want to pray for us, and then I want us to be thinking about the good news. Who can we share with this week? Who can we, who can we try and be a guest with this week? Amen? Let me, let me pray, and then we will, we will finish up. And then, Grace, would you end us? Lord, I am so grateful for this morning. I'm so grateful for the chance to be able to speak on study and what it means to be a true disciple. I I pray that we would um, take from this the ability to be someone's guest, to not try and be the host, to not try and take something, but to try and just, like, we'd have to be put in the position to receive something. And that's an interesting flip. It's an interesting dichotomy, God, and, and you call us into that. And so I'm so thankful uh, that we have spaces like that where we can do that and we can experience that discomfort together because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be messy. And so we have a chance as a community to actually walk alongside each other as we're living now this Christian life. So I thank you so much for this morning. I pray that we leave here slowly and hang out and have breakfast together. Um, and I pray for this time of worship as we.